I'm Mrs. Santa Claus, the invisible wife. And Mrs. Santa Claus needs a change in her life. I've been manning the business and planning each holiday plan. And I'm tired of being the shadow behind the great man. When I started the case of episodes, I was hoping to bring you silly properties that I thought were special in one way or another, but didn't really matter. But today's episode... In honor of the holiday season, which for many of us, including Bryn Williams, friend of the pod, never truly goes away, is one that might be the absolutely most special to me. Premiering in 1996 on CBS from Hallmark, Mrs. Santa Claus was billed as the first original musical written for television since 1957 Cinderella from Rodgers and Hammerstein. That billing alone was mighty, mighty big shoes to fill. But when you put Jerry Herman behind the music and lyrics, Mark Saltzman on the script, Rob Marshall on choreography, the incredible Terry Hughes in the director's chair, and the otherworldly Bob Mackie on costumes, you're writing yourself a Christmas wish list that has to be delivered. And when you round out that creative team with an all-star cast like Angela Lansbury, Terrence Mann, Charles Durang, Michael Jeter, and a young Lindsay Balliston, you're making some truly magical theater moments and Christmas magic. So let me take you into the world of Avenue A and tell you why you must revisit Mrs. Santa Claus. So I'm coming your way. Keep an eye on my sleigh because I want the world to know there's a Mrs. Santa Claus. The film is set in 1910, just a week before Christmas, with a particularly overworked Santa. Uh, But let's not be honest. There's always a tired and overworked Santa. Anna Claus just wants to help her husband and make the business about both of them and help take the load off her overworked and tired husband. But he's too overwhelmed to see her. So in a daring move, Mrs. Claus saddles up the reindeer for a quick jaunt away and promises to be back in time for Christmas. As happens in many of these stories, a storm blows her off course and they end up in New York City's Lower East Side with an injured reindeer. But not to worry, a dreamy coachman named Marcella promises to have him back in good condition no later than Christmas Eve. So under the new name, Mrs. North, Anna Claus takes up lodgings in a Jewish boarding house and becomes an intrinsic part of life for the community on Avenue A, including helping a suffragette named Sadie rally the women of the neighborhood so that women can get the right to vote and help a group of children who work in a local toy factory run by the corrupt Augie Tavish unionize and show everyone the true meaning, not just of Christmas, but of the holiday spirit. Now on its surface, it sounds like any Hallmark Christmas movie, right? Just with any cast. And sure that might be right. But when you add the music and the costumes in this cast, Well, there's really something truly special about this movie that I will argue and die on the hill that Hallmark has not topped to this day. The film was shot in California in the summer of 1996, which, if you do the math, to premiere in December, to end shooting in September, they did a lot of work on this movie over the fall. 
During pre-production, the writer and director really wanted to set this film sometime in the 1920s, but it was designer Bob Mackey that pled the case for the 19-teens. Because the connotations of fashion and society in the 1920s would change New York, it would change the story, and would bring... Let's say some not as effective storytelling to Anna's story if we saw her in typical 1920s fashion, which would also, you know, have a lot of the stereotypical Great Gatsby feels, the New York flappers, and it's just what audiences would have expected out of the 1920s. Now, the production designers had quite the work cut out for them in the lot at Universal Studios California, where most of the exteriors of this film were filmed. The previous film before them had stripped away all color, made it that 1990s sleek and modern, all white, gray, and black, which just wouldn't work for anybody who's done a lick of historical research into the time. It was gritty and lived in. There was this nature of colors, but it was all saturated and worn. And the set dressing became kind of the key to telling this winter story as they were shooting in summer. Now, during this time, it was apparently... A hard sell for Dame Lansbury to come and do a TV Christmas project. But it took Hughes, Mackie, and Herman to convince her to do the project. And when she finally agreed to come on, I believe it was her idea to bring the idea of Sadie's suffragette plotline out to Mrs. Claus, as well as to all the women in Avenue A, which it's one of my favorite moments in the movie. I do just want to note before moving on that there is some really just fun connection here that Dame Lansbury is part of the original film cast of Beauty and the Beast as she was Mrs. Potts. And in this film, we feature Terrence Mann, uh, who is Augie Tavish, who two years before this had originated the role of Beast on Broadway. Kind of showing you that there's never really a way to work around those Disney connections. We'll be right back to Mrs. Santa Claus right after this. Before the Wicked Witch of the West and those gals from Salem, there was Circe, the captivating and kind of catastrophic Greek witch who did more than just turn men into pigs. I'm Rose. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Gloria. Join us this fall on Circling Circe, the podcast where we talk about Madeline Miller's incredible book, Circe. We go through the novel chapter by chapter. We laugh. We cry. From laughing. We swoon over Daedalus and other Greek hotties and talk way too much about food, life, and scented candles. I'm hydrated. I'm ready. I'm You're pumped ready. to talk about Greek gods and titans. <laughs> Let's do this. Lasagna is not supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be eaten hot, stupid. Who just looked at the count and was like, hey, sexy, moo right over here. Like It's 11.45. I need to go eat my liver. My Prometheus pate. <laughs> and Granny's like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> We post every Wednesday, so mark your calendars. Make like Scylla. Grab a sailor. And dive in. Find Circling Circe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, do we want to do an outro? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Is that your outro? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Welcome to the world of Avenue A. Where you hear, come esta, and bless my soul and oy Rosie Finkelstein and Michael Monahan. As many of you will know who have listened to the show for a long time, we only had five channels growing up. And we also had a VCR. And through that VCR, my parents introduced me to the gorgeous world of musical film. 
it was my favorite to watch as a small child. So as advertisements began to run in October of 1996 for this movie, it became a must watch in my house. And I believe we even stayed home from church on the night that it premiered, which if you know my family is saying a lot. So the first reason I'm bringing you this movie today is the score. Now, most musicals from the 90s were finding their footing, crossing from the spectacle of the 70s and 80s into a more contemporary sound that Rent and Lion King brought and would usher into the 2000s. But this score is about as classic of a sound as you can get. It combines the late mid-century to the golden age to just the heart of musical theater. Now, you might know Mr. Herman from his other work, like... Mame, Hello Dolly, and La Caja Fall. His show tunes are earworms. I think it's the best way to describe them that just gorgeously stand their own, but also progress the story in that way that you want a musical show tune to do. He also brings some gorgeous pairings of the melodies with the characters in this movie. We revisit a lot of certain refrains and melodic structures as the story progresses. The story of Avenue A that we hear just after Mrs. Claus Crash Land stands out to me the most. Because Herman combines these early jazz and eh, 1970s show tune sounds with cultural influences from Europe and Italy and the Jewish communities that resided in the avenue of the history of this time. And he really twists them to make the music help tell the story and make it as complete and diverse as the cast is now the second song that i find oh just a winner that just hits my heart is the final song of the movie called he needs me it has a lot of the same heft that uh 50 from ballroom by michael bennett does now i know that's a deep cut for a lot of musical theater people but it has this gravitas as a songs like I am what I am and before the parade passes by. And then in this moment, Mrs. Claus realizes that just how much her husband needs her and how much she's got to get back to him. And I think it just solidifies. It's a beautiful song that I actually wish more older musical theater women sang. So go out there and add it to your book. Now, as a costume designer myself, there are a few names that bring a light to legacy of fashion and the frivolity for common people, forgive me, muggles, outside of the design community. And that person is Bob Mackey. Mackey is arguably best known for his work with Cher, Carol Burnett, and Barbie. He flexes his deep knowledge of costume history in this movie so gorgeously. I mean, the scenes are full of color and this texture that you can just see through the screen, even the most minor details are not looked over. He uses those minor details in buttons and stitching and, and the crossweave of fabrics uh, so that nothing would be lost on the audience. And we kind of know so much about these characters before we even hear them say a single word or hear them enter in a scene if they're just standing there or hanging out a window doing their laundry. I, I keep going back to this idea of the cultural melting pot that is this community because that is deeply entrenched in the history of this area of the time, but also in the, the, in the plot of this movie. 
And if you know anything about New York during this time, it wasn't a great place for immigrants who were flooding into the country from all over the world pre and post World War One. But those people brought their histories and their cultures to share with their new communities. And Mackie's costume design, y'all, it helps tell those stories so much on screen. Without even us hearing all of their backstories, I can tell where these people came from, who they are. Who they are at home when the door is closed, which is more important. And I gotta say, my favorite piece, and I will always be, is the amazing red velvet and white fur Mrs. Santa Claus coat. She wears it at the beginning and the end of the film as she's flying the sleigh. And I even got to tell you on my notes, I get so excited about this coat. I, I miss out sleigh to SLAY because y'all, Dame Lansbury slays in this fucking coat. And I think there's literally nothing else in film, kind of when it comes to Christmas movies, that makes me feel this way, except for Martha May Huvier's costumes in the live action Grinch, which like another badass Christmas woman. But like, this is all so amazingly aided by the production design and any production designers out there, anybody that works in design are the unsung heroes because everybody just loves the gorgeousness of the film, the gorgeousness of the actors, the richness of, but they don't think about the months and years of the design process that goes into this. And we spend a lot of this movie outside and it's on this specific lot at universal studios, California, that's this New York exterior. And there was just this painstaking care that went into the moments and every brushstroke, every bit of wear and tear to just gorgeously help tell these stories. Every time a star is falling, someone that you love is calling. Now, lastly, I don't think I need to say it, but this cast is just top notch. It's this beautiful combination of Broadway and film talent with their ace in the hole behind building this cast. Now, Michael Jeter always brings a sweet sincerity to just everything he did. And is always just such a vision to watch, even when he isn't dancing, which is what he did specifically. And he did so little of it in this film. Now, a young, handsome Terrence man bringing the devious and sinister Argy Tavish to life for, you know, his chocolate voice, his cutting eyes, his unusual look. And if you search Rosalind Harris on IMDb, you won't see many credits, but one that you will see is the film of Fiddler on the Roof. And if you dive even further into her incredible stage career, you will see years and years and years of experience in her subtle and nuanced performance in this movie. Now, David Nerona as Marcello was one of my childhood crushes, and I think still defines my type to this day. And many of us in the 90s couldn't watch anything without seeing Lindsay Bartleston's face, who would go on to lead the cast of Grounded for Life. So they are just absolutely wonderful. Now, for many years, unless you are lucky enough to buy a VH copy at Suncoast Video or recorded it live on TV, it has been almost impossible to find. And for many folks, if it wasn't for a soundtrack from RCA Victor Records, 
There's almost no record of this film, despite Hollywood now cornering the market in holiday programming. Now, there's no critic rating for this film, as many TV films in the 90s rarely got any critical look because most of them aren't good, but it does have a fan rating of 61%, which I frankly call bullshit on. You all know I am picky with good movies, and this is far from a bad movie. I would argue this is the best holiday film Hallmark has ever put out, and I will die on this hill. So please go watch this film. Review it for Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. We need to get that score up. Thankfully, it's now currently available for streaming on Hallmark Movies Now, which is a streaming add-on. Uh, I recommend doing the one-week free trial. Or it's also available on DVD for $14.99 on Amazon. I highly recommend adding this to your home video libraries as well as your family's regularly holiday viewing. Now, happy holidays from all of us. Now enjoy the rest of He Needs Me from Mrs. Santa Claus. He's my world and I am his. He's my world and journey's end is where he is. And his laughter is my laughter. Tells me what I'm living for And so if he needs me I'll go Cause I need him much more Are you tired of watching your beloved characters being tortured by careless authors? Are you sick of feeling like they could have swapped out all of the painful action and the plot would remain untouched? Subscribe to Books That Burn, the fortnightly book review podcast focusing on fictional depictions of trauma. We assume that the characters' reactions are reasonable and focus on how badly or well they were served by their authors. Join us for our minor character spotlights, main character discussions, and favorite non-traumatic things in the dark books we love. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy New Year's from all of us at Saturday Morning Confidential. Thank you for joining us for Season 2. Thank you to getting us to Season 2. Now, I know we promised you a Courage the Cowardly Dog episode, and that episode is coming next week. So hold tight. But this season, we are focusing on strong female leads, femme power, uh, that is going to culminate with an anniversary special of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in March. So stay tuned for all that. Check out our Patreon. We're only $2 a month. Let's us know that you love what we're doing. Our next few episodes feature classics like Teen Witch, Charmed, and Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. So come back next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.